thought we'd start off talking about something fun and victorious. Uh, if um, <clears throat> you have n no interest in sports, I, I even if you don't have any interest in sports, it would be hard to picture you're living in Minnesota and not aware of the fact that the Vikings are not having the most stellar season they've ever had. Um, in fact, it just seems to get worse and worse the longer the season goes. I understand Monday night happened, but um, we actually won one. But um, I think all of us who like the Vikings look for some reason for hope when there seems to be a lot of reasons to not hope. And we grab at anything positive because we're looking for hope. Well, what in the world does that have to do with Ruth? <laughs> um, I put that up there because in many ways, that's where we've come to in God's story. And that's why I think the book of Ruth is in the Bible and why we've read it this week as chapter 9. Because if you go before Ruth, you really see Israel in sort of a downward spiral. Uh, the book of Judges is a series of leaders, but in many ways, if you look at those leaders, each one is probably of a lower quality than the last. And nobody solves Israel's problems, really fixes Israel long term. And Israel is really in a downward spiral. And I was thinking of the... Um, good job, Andy. Um, it just struck me, here is the Vikings, quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, none of which saves the Vikings. And the jury's still out on Ponder if he's going to be resurrected. Well, that was sort of like the judges. You know, Gideon, one of the first ones, is probably the best. And, and the final one is Samson, who is not exactly anybody you would want, other than being really strong. His morals, his character, etc., stunk, honestly. He is not a moral, upstanding person, even though God used him. Well, we've got the book of Judges, and it's like, is there anything good going on here? Well, yeah, there is. Maybe not at a national level, but that doesn't mean good isn't going on, and maybe good is happening at the personal level. And so the same time that the book of Judges was occurring, there was another story going on in the midst of Israel. And that's a story of one family. And interestingly enough, as near as we can tell from historical research, the book of Judges was finally written down after there were kings in Israel, David, Solomon, that period. That's also when they wrote the book of Judges down, uh, the book of Ruth down. Realizing that while we need to tell the story about Judges, we need to tell people what good was going on as well in the midst of this downward spiral of our nation. And that's what brings us to chapter 9 of the story, which is really the book of Ruth. And it's interesting in all that they kept for the making the story that they chose to include every verse of this small four-chapter book because it tells such a powerful story about some ordinary people, no leaders, just ordinary people who had faith and did the right thing. If Judges shows us how people can be faithless, Ruth shows us how people can be faithful. 
And the story starts with a couple, Naomi and Elimelech. There's lots of names in here. If you're looking for names for your kids, there's lots of options here. The, the interesting thing is they were residents of Bethlehem. That is significant. We're going to talk about that a lot in a couple months, aren't we? Well, interestingly enough, I'll let you cheat and read the last chapter. We are talking about the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. This couple. Well, half of this couple. So Elimelech and Naomi are living in Bethlehem. The problem is there, there is a famine. No rain, no crops, no food. And there isn't international disaster aid. And so they decide they better go where the food is or they're going to die. And so they go across the Jordan River into Moab, which were the enemies of Israel, but they had food. So they went over there and settled to survive. And Elimelech and Naomi had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And while they were there, Malon and Chilion married two Moabite girls. And in that process, and we don't have an exact timeline for all of this, Elimelech, the dad, dies. So here's Naomi with her two sons, but by now the sons have grown up, and they've married girls, and they can support the family. So Naomi's okay. And she's gained two daughters-in-laws named Orpah and Ruth. We decided in somebody at Sunday school that somebody needs to name their daughter Orpah. But then the problems for Naomi continues because not only does her husband die, now her sons die. And so now you have three widows, a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law. And they are in trouble. You really have to take your head and, and to get around this, you have to go back into the ancient world and just remove everything you think about today of how those women would have been. And survive. Because they lived in an ancient culture that said women don't work. That's just not an option. And, and, and they don't run their own business. And they don't run their own farm. They are wives and they are mothers and grandmothers. That's all women did. And that's what they did. And their men took care of them. They worked. They earned money. They brought food home. So if you take all the men out of the picture, you have three women who are in deep trouble. There's no way to support themselves. They didn't go to the market and sew clothes and sell them. That, that didn't happen back then. And that's where it's hard for us to get our head around how difficult a situation they faced. And so Naomi says, well, the only chance I've got is to go back home where at least I've got family. I don't know if they're going to take care of me. I don't know if they're going to feed me. But if I have any chance, it's not here in Moab, it's to go back home. And so she starts to do that. But what about these two daughters? They're from Moab. They're also widows. They can't support themselves. I want you to turn over with me, and we're going to read a few verses out of the book of Ruth. And we'll read a few more later if you want to keep your finger there. But I want to read first in chapter 1. Just six through the beginning of nine. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, providing food for them, so the, the drought is over in Bethlehem. There's food again in Bethlehem. 
So she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She packs up. Now notice how she does this. Naomi is an extremely intelligent woman. She says, okay, girls, pack it up. we got to go home. We're in trouble. That's my home. Help me pack. Help me get ready. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. She began the journey. But then she stops her girls, the the daughters-in-law. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands, my sons, and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Because that's the only way to survive. Now the Moabites were the enemies of Israel. So Naomi is being extremely pragmatic. Uh, We can tell from the book that she was a good mother-in-law and had good relationships with her daughters-in-law. So it's not that she doesn't care about them. In fact, it's because she does care about them. She says, i got to go home to my family. That's the only chance I have as a single woman. And you know what? That's what you better do too. And your families are here. You're Moabites. And in a sense, Naomi knew she was the, they were the enemy. So to take them to Israel and expect sympathy from relatives for these Moabite girls that nobody in Bethlehem had ever met was probably not going to happen. So Naomi says, I need to be honest with you. You better stay here. It's the only chance you've got. You stay here, find new husbands, and you can survive. And it's obviously a sad time, and she doesn't warn them in advance she's going to do this. Because maybe the, the, her daughters-in-law would have been arguing with her or not gone along. She waits till they're all packed, and everything's ready for a journey. And he says, she's, then she says, now your journey needs to be this way, not this way. Well, Orpah does go back home. But Ruth, which is obviously the person this book is written or named for, Ruth won't do it. And she speaks this great passage, which is about the loyalty of a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Later in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, Ruth replied to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. I won't do it. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. Ruth was not going to leave Naomi. We, we had a great discussion in Sunday school. This, to us, said as much about Naomi as it does about Ruth. Because that kind of relationship is between a pretty good mother-in-law and a pretty good daughter-in-law. And Ruth obviously cared very deeply for Naomi. And so she says, I'm not leaving you. And you can almost picture, or I picture this younger woman who has this older mother-in-law and says, you know what, she needs me. Uh, she's in a tough situation. She has no husband. She's old enough. She's probably not going to get a husband. So to survive is going to be really hard for Naomi. I, I better be there with her. Obviously, Ruth could remarry. She could have done what Orpah did. 
but she said, Naomi needs me. And so she said, I'm going with you. I'm going to help you make it through this tragedy. They don't know what's coming. They, it is a huge unknown. But Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. We're in this together. Sink or swim. Eat or go hungry. We're in this together. And of course, we know God was working through this whole process, through this whole situation. And so they go back to Bethlehem. And that introduces us to the other main character of the story, a man named Boaz. Now, Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem, but they still have to eat. And the culture is no different there. They couldn't open up a sewing shop. They couldn't cook meals and start a cafe on the corner. They had no options for income. And you can only live on a relative's couch for so long, and sooner or later the relatives say, hey, carry your own weight. And so Naomi's getting older, so she sends Ruth out to at least get some food. And so she sends her out, and it's obviously harvest time. Picture wheat, barley, oats, whatever in your head, something like that. And the guys of the village are out harvesting all these crops. And, and she says to Ruth, now, you know, you, you can't go steal stuff, but when they're all done, you go out there and you look for any grain they missed, anything they dropped, and you try and collect it. Now, I, I don't know, I, I, you know I grew up on a farm, and my folks were pretty frugal. So once the corn picker went through... It was our job to go out and walk in the cornfield and look for any ears of corn that had fallen. Well, you don't find a lot of ears of corn if you have a very good corn picker. So there's a whole lot of walking for a whole little corn. And the same would be true in that day, and they were talking hand harvesting, obviously, so you didn't have tons of extra grain laying around. So this isn't this wonderful solution, but it's all they got. So here's Ruth out following these people around. In my modern times, I picture her walking after the combine. You know, lo looking for anything the combine missed. And she's got some basket, and it's just going to be a few heads of wheat at a time. And she finds it. And we know if you read through the details of the story, she was every day. Because the harvest only comes right now. This isn't a year-round deal. So you got to make hay while the sun shines. So she's out there every day, all day long, trying to get some food to eat. Well, God the weaver is weaving through all of this. They don't know it. Nobody in the story knows it, but God does. And she goes to a field owned by Boaz. And uh, he wasn't the harvester. He was the landowner. And he came out to check on the crew. How's the harvest going? And he notices this woman out scavenging in the field. And so he goes to his foreman. And you, you get the picture. Boaz is relatively wealthy. He's got a crew. He's got land. He's got a crew. He's got a foreman. And says, what's the story on her? And we don't know if he was maybe about ready to chew out this guy. What are you letting her do that for? But obviously the they knew the story of Ruth, they'd talk to her. And so he tells her what's up. They tell Boaz what's up. 
She's Ruth the Moabitess, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. They've all lost their husbands. They are poor as church mice, and she's out trying to get some food. And that's where we start to see Boaz's character shine out. Because he basically goes over to Ruth, and he doesn't yell at her, he doesn't kick her out of his fields. He says, hey, you stay in my fields, and if you read between the lines of what Boaz says to her, where you'll be safe. Because a woman by herself out with a bunch of guys harvesting, it wasn't safe. She could have gone to other fields that would have been very dangerous for her physically. And Boaz says, you stay in my fields, I'll make sure you're safe. And then the other Boaz, the other thing Boaz does, which would have been fun to watch, he goes over to his crew and he says, okay guys, I want you to get sloppy. And I'm sure they didn't usually hear that from their boss, so they're like, what's up with that? And he says, no, seriously, I want you to get sloppy. I want you to miss some grain. Drop it, don't pick it up. I want to make sure there's plenty of grain for that woman to pick up. And so they're like, okay. And so all of this is happening, and Ruth, who's still this Moabite woman in a foreign land, she speaks with an accent, she doesn't dress right, all this stuff that marks her as a foreigner. And she says, what's up with Boaz? Why is he treating me this way? Let's go back to chapter 2. Read a couple verses. She hears of all Boaz, all Boaz is doing for her. And, and then she says, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She's not worthy, you see, to look at Boaz. She's not an equal to Boaz. So she falls down her face to the ground and says, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's a fascinating speech. Boaz says, I, I know you're not one of us, but you chose to come here and become one of us. You took our God, you've lived here now, and you have been so good to your mother in law the story's out about Naomi and Ruth, the village everybody in Bethlehem knows, and they've been touched. To watch Ruth, this faithful daughter-in-law who's come here, because she, she knew Naomi would need her. She's out working in the fields every day, dawn to dusk, so they can eat. She's being watched in her goodness, in her servanthood. Boaz says, I want to help. You've ministered to me by what your your life, your example. I want to help you. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? When we do good, people see it. It's noticed. We don't always get a thank you, but it's noticed. I, I, I think of the timing of this sermon, and we've just finished Family Promise. You don't always get a thank you from everybody at Family Promise. 
fact, you probably get less thank yous than you do not thank you. But it's noticed. People see that serving, that giving, that sacrifice, that caring, all of that, no strings attached, nothing expected back. It's just that giving, that helping. And just that doing, that serving, is a sermon that is preached by our lives. And that's exactly what Boaz had been watching Ruth do. Now, the story continues. It's not just that they eat. A love story begins. And, I, and I'm hoping I'm selling you on going home and reading Ruth if you haven't read it this week, because it really is an interesting story. And I love it if you've watched that, that movie that's now an old movie, Fiddler on the Roof, or seen the play, there's this wonderful matchmaker in it named Yentl. Well, at this point, Naomi becomes Yentl. And she's thinking, you know what, if we're going to eat long term, we need to find a solution, and that solution is a husband. And Ruth, guess what, maybe Boaz is that husband, so let's do a little matchmaking. So Naomi gets involved, she coaches Ruth, says, okay, here's how you dress, here's what you do, here's where you go, and let's see if we can catch Boaz's attention. And so if you read the book, then Ruth does all that. She goes down to where they're harvesting, and she's there in the morning when Boaz wakes up, and it works. Boaz says, yeah, hey, I think I'd like to marry you. He's seen what character she has and how she's treated Naomi. He says, I'd like a wife with that character. Well, then we come across something that is very foreign for us. But I want to talk about it because it speaks to us even as Christians it's the term kinsman redeemer, a relative who needs to take care of you. Now, again, you've got to go back into the ancient world and you've got to forget about most of what we know today. You need to take away any kind of government support if you're in need. You take away Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, unemployment. You just wipe it all away. If anything bad happens to you, you are on your own, period. Nobody is going to step in. And death was a lot more common in the ancient world. So that meant including starving to death, literally dying in your home without food. Nobody was going to step in. You just died. But what do you do? How does a uh, culture survive with that? You have to rely on the one thing they had. Family. Nobody else was going to help you. It had to be family. And that's the concept of kinsman redeemer. If I got in trouble, whether that was unemployment, whether that was a bad investment and I just lost the farm, whether that was I got so far in debt, I got sold into slavery for my debt, which was the ancient world practice. How am I ever going to get out of this? Family. Somebody in the family would need to step up and say, okay, your family, I'll help. And this wasn't just mom and dad, brother, sister, grandma and grandpa. This would be first cousin, second cousin. It was that larger family that we have to take care of each other. And so I will come and redeem you. I will help you. I will rescue you. Because we're family, kinsman, redeemer. And that meant 
It might cost me money. I might have to pay your debt. I might have to buy you out of slavery. I might have to give you food. I might have to help you get on your feet, whatever that took and whatever it cost me, because we are family. Well, that concept comes into play here because guess what? Boaz is family. And this all evolves. You can read it in the story. The first time Ruth comes home with some grain, she got in the field. Naomi's like, way to go. Where'd you get it? Which field were you working? And she said, oh, Ruth says, oh, that was this guy named Boaz. And Naomi is like, yes. Because Naomi knows he's family. And the wheels in Naomi's head start spinning and saying, ah, kinsman, redeemer. Could this work? Could we prevail upon Boaz, who is, I've determined, you didn't read it in yours, but I read it in my special preacher edition. Boaz was a second cousin. Okay, We've determined he was the second cousin of Ruth and Naomi. And so Naomi's like, hey, he can do it. Now, the fun part of the story is Boaz falls in love with Naomi. Oh, remember, women couldn't work, so with the land went the women. So we read in the story that Naomi has some land. This is her hometown, remember. Maybe it was a Limelech's land, but she can't rent it out. She can't farm it. She's got to get rid of it, and with it goes the women. I, I'm, this is not me. Women, don't, don't meet me at the door. I'm just describing the ancient world. You are better off today. Okay, we won't go there. Okay, so with the land goes the women. So then there's a great story here because Boaz says, I want Ruth, but before I can do the kinsman redeemer thing and save them and buy the land and therefore gain Ruth, there's a first cousin. And he has first right of refusal. So there's a great story. Um, Boaz sets all this up. The city gates, which is where everybody had to pass in and out of town. So that's where all the business went on. So Boaz hangs out at the city gates till the first cousin comes by. We don't know his name. We just know he existed. And Boaz there, he says, cousin, great to see you. Could I talk to you a minute? The cousin has no clue what's coming up. And so he says, sure, sure. So he's staying there. And then Boaz says, hold it just a minute. Boaz runs over, collects the city elders. Says, come on over here, guys. I need you to judge a case for me. Can you imagine being the first cousin? He's like, I was just going out to get some groceries. What is Boaz doing? And so he sets it all up and he says, okay, elders, yours my witnesses. Cousin, Naomi's back. Her land's for sale. Do you want it? You're a first cousin. I'm a second cousin. You have first right of refusal. Do you want her land? I love this story. The first cousin says, well, sure. That's a good piece of land. I'll buy it. And then Boaz says, oh, one more detail. That includes Ruth. Now, we don't know all the dynamics of the first cousin's home, but he says, uh, no, thanks. I don't need another wife. I can't take the land. And Boaz says, oh, darn. Okay, second cousin, I'll do it. And so he takes Ruth 
He is the kinsman redeemer. At whatever cost, he buys the land and saves Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth becomes his wife. And the book closes as they have a son, who Naomi now has a grandson. But the important thing is that son of Boaz and Ruth is a man named Obed, who is the grandfather of David, who is the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. And so this couple, Ruth and Boaz, become the great-great-great-great-grandparents of Jesus born in Bethlehem. And God was working all of that out. We have this little book of Ruth in the Bible for a lot of reasons. But I think some that stand out is the nation, if you look at the book of Judges, if I can say maybe going to hell in a handbasket, but there are good people being faithful right here, right now. Good people named Ruth, good people named Boaz, good people named Naomi. And they may have tough times and bad things, but God's working. We don't always see it at the time. We don't always understand it at the time. We don't understand the bad things at the time, but God is working. And as long as we are faithful, like Naomi, like Ruth, And like Boaz, God is working. And sometimes amazing things come out of God working if we'll just do what we need to do at the time. And to me, that's the challenge for us today. As we close, I would ask you, are you Ruth or are you Boaz? If you're Ruth, is there a place in your life with somebody around you who just needs you to be faithful? To be there for them, to do the right thing, to not give up when the going gets tough? Is there somebody who needs you to stand beside them? Or are you Boaz? You may be very successful, life may be going well for you, But is there somebody out at the edge of the field who obviously is in trouble? You may not even know their name. Boaz didn't know Ruth's name. Is there somebody that needs you to care? To go out of the way, to help that stranger, to make a difference in their life, not because you have to, not because you owe it to them, just because they're there and they're in need. Is there somebody in your field who needs you to notice them like Boaz noticed Ruth? If we'll be faithful like Ruth and Boaz, I think like they were, we will be amazed to see what God does through our simple actions of serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. It's just such a great lesson for us. Sometimes we're like Ruth. Sometimes we're like Boaz. You just need us to to do what you put in front of us to do. People to help, to care about, to stand beside, to not give up on. People we may not even know who need our help. Father, help us. Be faithful 
to the work you give us to do like these do. In your son's name.